Uh, our gospel text today is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 4. We'll be reading verses 1 through 13. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing at all during those days, and when they were over, he was famished. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become a loaf of bread. Jesus answered him, It is written, One does not live by bread alone. Then the devil led him up and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And the devil said to him, To you I will give their glory and all this authority. For it has been given over to me, and I give it to anyone I please. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered him, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil took him to Jerusalem and placed him high on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to protect you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is said, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished every test, he departed from him until an opportune time. The word of God for the people of God. So, as Alicia said earlier, today is the first Sunday of Lent. This is a time of great importance in the church as a whole as we prepare our hearts in celebration of Holy Week. Also, Lent uh, comes from the Latin word for spring. So, as Andy pointed out, the, the, the trees are budding, the, the birds are singing, and we're starting to, to get in this feeling of new life. So, it is an opportunity, a refreshing opportunity for us here in the church. It's a time to focus on the fleeting experience of human life, the fragility of human spirituality, and the utter inability we have to do anything apart from God. It's a time when we focus on the ways we have failed, on the things we have done, and the things we have left undone, the way God hasn't failed, and the hope we can find in repentance and spiritual reflection that we can become more like God in our lives and in the world we interact with. Throughout the centuries, this has been a time of fasting and abstinence. And this is a fasting and an abstinence that most folks are aware of. They understand that this is what it means on some extent, though it's easy to forget why, and it's even easier, it seems, to forget when. Because Alicia showed me this clip uh, from Jimmy Kimmel this week that I would be remiss not to share with you all uh, before we get started. Alicia, can you hit that light for me? That's, that's, mm, that's good. So traditionally here at OBF, what we do during Lent uh, when it comes to sermons is uh, focus on a sermon series uh, that we put together that kind of allows, helps us to turn our hearts to God during this time. Last year, we focused on spiritual disciplines that can help us in our personal lives. The year before, we looked at the way Jesus would call us to live together as believers in the world and the way that Jesus would have us push against the empirical and impressive ways the world functions. While this has been a beautiful tradition that I've loved dearly, it's had one negative side effect. There have been a lot of the lectionary texts that we've kind of missed out on because we've 
focused so much on this Linton series that we were making uh, that we skipped some of the, the some, to, in my opinion, some of the best Jesus stories that we have. And our gospel reading today is one of those stories in the story of the temptation of Christ. Jesus spends 40 days out in the wilderness in fasting and is tempted by the devil. It's from this story that we get the 40 days of Lent. It's this that we get the, the fasting and abstinence of this season as we sort of recreate Jesus' time in the wilderness in our own lives. We've not, we're not without our own temptations, though. I've felt it already as I've tried to keep my fast of sweets is what I've decided to give up for Lent. And I know you're sitting here saying it has only been five days. How in the heck are you having trouble with it already? But I am. So as Alicia said earlier, Friday I was off work and she and I went together to pick Eden up from school. And so it's the last day before spring break. So Alicia said, let's have a treat. Let's go to Sonic as we, after we pick her up. Uh, and Alicia says, uh, you know, I would like an Oreo blast. And Eden orders a peanut butter milkshake. And I sit there and covet to, to no end as I basically just salivate and almost cry as I order a frozen strawberry lemonade, which Alicia says is bending the, the, the rule of no sweets to the point of almost breaking. And it was. I'm not going to lie about that. Um, but it wasn't ice cream, which is... Yeah, she's still saying it's cheating, but whatever. But as we saw in that clip, we have a temptation not just to make fasts, but also to lie about fasts. We have a temptation to, to act like we know more than we do. We have a temptation to make us feel like we're doing something special uh, in front of people. That's human nature, though. We're constantly tempted to look holier than we are. We're tempted to falter and then seem steadfast, to fail and act impeccably. Of course, temptation is the focus of this section of Scripture. It's not called the long walk without food of Christ. It is the temptation of Christ. And it's not often that the devil shows up and acts so noticeably devilish in a text, so we would be remiss not to pay attention to what the gospel writers are having to say to us today. Luke's gospel puts this story directly after Jesus' baptism. He basically comes out of the water of the Jordan and goes and hangs out in the desert for more than a month. So basically, after the experience of the Jordan where a voice in the sky and a vision like a dove comes, he goes out for 40 days to pray. And scripture tells us that Jesus was tempted for the whole of this 40 days. This wasn't just these three temptations. These are actually the last temptations that Jesus experiences. As the text says, he was hungry and famished, and on the last day is when these uh, temptations took place. Why do you think Luke tells us that? I think on some level what Luke is reminding us is that it's in our moments of weakness that temptation is the strongest. It's in the moments when we're completely beaten down by the world, when we don't know what the future looks like, that we can convince ourselves that cutting corners is the right way to go about it. Without us skirting the rules, without us doing whatever we can to survive, we won't know what tomorrow brings. So the devil shows up in Jesus' desperate hour. And he says, if you're the son of God, command this stone to turn into bread. This one I've always struggled with. 
alone out in the wilderness, starving, there's no one that turning this stone into bread would harm except for the stone. How is this a bad idea? It's not generally more complex a miracle than turning water into wine. And it seems that he turned water into wine just to keep a party going. So how could this be so much worse? I wish I could say proudly that Jesus was basically saying, I'm giving up bread for 40 days. And he turned away from temptation the same way that I turned away from the temptation of an Oreo blast. But that's not what is important here. There is something more important here about Jesus and about us. Jesus is responding to the most common temptation that we as humans experience. Take care of yourself. Look out for number one. This innocuous little temptation has devastating effects every day as we worry about feeding ourselves more than we worry about feeding those around us by being good stewards of what we have. It's during the Lenten season that we have an opportunity to take a step back and look at ourselves and see the small ways that we're tempted to put the needs of ourselves above the needs of others. So often we're able to scrounge up money for something we want, something we think we need, in a way that looks a lot like turning a stone into bread. Like we've almost made something from nothing. Now second, the devil shows Jesus all the kingdoms of the world. He says, I was given command over this world, so surely I could give it to you. These kingdoms could all be yours. Just worship me and it'll be the case. Jesus pushes back and says that he is to worship the Lord only. But just like the stone turning into bread, the way Jesus denies the temptation isn't as important as why he denies the temptation in the first place. Jesus is being offered the ability to take the world as Jesus is called to do. Think about how easy the ministry of Jesus would have been if he could just reach out and capture all the kingdoms of the world in this moment. If he could rule all of creation this easily. Surely there wouldn't have been a cross. Surely there wouldn't have been a tomb. Who puts the king of all the kingdoms in a cross? But Jesus knows that this kind of power, this ruling power, and worshiping God are mutually exclusive. When you have legal and political dominion over all people, people get crushed in the process. People get destroyed. Crosses start cropping up all over the place with dissidents, with thieves, with messiahs on them. Power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. But still, power like this is a temptation that we feel constantly. The idea that might makes right, the desire to make those around us think like us, look like us, and to hell with everyone else. The temptation to scoot those we deem lesser to the margins, under the rug, to maintain the status quo, to maintain the power that we think we have. And lastly, when Jesus is standing on top of the temple and the temptation to jump off and let the angels catch him comes out of the devil's mouth. Surely your father wouldn't let anything bad happen to you, so just jump off. But the devil got smart 
after those first two. And just as Jesus has been responding to the temptation with Scripture, the devil backs up this temptation with Scripture. But Jesus still denies the temptation. He doesn't succumb to the temptation to make his religious standing, his favor with God, make him an exception to the rule. He doesn't try to curry favor with God in order to keep himself safe. Especially when looking ahead and seeing the cross and Jesus' future, we can see how this would be a temptation. Because if he could jump off of this temple and not feel pain, surely he could take the cross and not feel pain. There's a temptation to never get near that cross in the first place, to make the ways of the world not apply to him, to put personal safety over his message and his ministry. If wealth and power are two of our biggest temptations, then surely safety rounds out that trinity. Safety is a temptation for sure, as we do everything in our power to keep ourselves and those close to us from being hurt even to the detriment of our own ministries in the world. God doesn't call for us to be safe. We have the example of Jesus and all the disciples to see that the gospel of Jesus Christ doesn't come with a you-won't-get-murdered guarantee. If personal safety becomes more important than communal flourishing, then we have lost. But there's another temptation here in this last temptation. It's one that we don't always talk about. There's the temptation of the devil's tongue that turns scripture into a weapon. Our holy book is a book full of differing voices from differing times and differing walks of life trying to understand God together. There's enough in this book to cherry pick and to work through to say basically anything with the authority of scripture behind it. Jesus could have said, well, the Bible says it, I believe it, and that settles it and jumped off that temple right then and there. The thing is, though, Jesus could have taken that trick and used it on his followers to mount up an uprising against Rome that would have gotten him every one of those kingdoms the devil had promised him. You can cherry-pick the Bible and make it very persuasive. But Jesus knew that the authority wasn't in the words in the page, but in the heart of their meaning. Jesus knew that the book wasn't the final say, the legal document that somehow forced God's hand, but rather it was the story of God's people trying to understand God better and that he was there to finally set the record straight, that ultimately there was no power in the words of Scripture if they weren't the words of love that we call the gospel. You see, the story of this text isn't that of the devil showing up and promising Jesus some supernatural temptation that only Jesus can experience. The devil just tempts Jesus with the same stuff we tempt ourselves with every day. Hoarding wealth, personal safety, power through coercion or through religious persuasion. All of these things are temptations that we face every day as a people on this earth working in broken systems to try to keep our head above water. But every one of them ultimately denies the humanity of ourselves and those around us. We can keep food for ourselves by denying it for other, from others. We can use might to coerce or religious influence to persuade folks to do what we want. 
and we can keep ourselves safe by throwing the least of these to the wolves. Sometimes it might seem like the right choice. Sometimes it might seem like the only logical choice. But that's how the temptation works. The temptation works by making it seem like the only way about things. We tempt ourselves to keep playing the world's game, to play by the world's rules, instead of realizing that Jesus came to throw that game away. We might even tempt ourselves into believing that playing the world by the world's rules mean that we're not doing anything wrong at all, no matter who we step on to get there. I read a story the other day when I was preparing for this sermon of a theologian whose church was preaching this same story. She sent her son to children's church where they talked about the same story with a very dynamic church leader, and the kid comes back really excited to ask questions as kids are wont to do. This story didn't sound familiar at all, by the way. The kid says, what do you know about the devil? And the mom says, well, what do you know about the devil? To try to see what exactly the kid learned, what exactly, where he's going with this. And the kid says, well, I know that he was mean. And then he showed up to Jesus and he tempted him. And this temptation was kind of like when we're at the grocery store and you and dad are on one aisle and I'm on another aisle And I hear the devil say, hey, why don't you take one of those candies? And so the mom says, and what would you say to me if we were at the grocery store and me and your dad were on one aisle and you were on another aisle and you heard the devil say, why don't you take one of those candies? What would you say to the devil? The kid gets a little sheepish grin and says, I'd say thank you very much. Because we often give the, cre- the devil more credit than he's due. We can talk about him as the great tempter, but we do a great job tempting ourselves. We do a great job just wanting someone to say thank you to. It's in this season that we have the opportunity to see the areas where we've let ourselves be tempted and to listen to Jesus, to follow the example of Jesus and to turn away from those temptations. Let us pray.